Hello and welcome to a bonus interview for Taiwan This Week. This is actually part of an interview that I wanted to have in the show proper for this week, but we didn't quite have enough room, kind of messed with the flow. You know, I like to keep it to about an hour, didn't want to mess that up. So instead, we're kind of cutting it out, putting it right here for those who are interested, want to learn a little bit more about this topic. The topic being a project sponsored by the Executive Yuan aimed at boosting Taiwan's tech startup cred. It's called the Asian Silicon Valley Project, and it's set to launch this Sunday with a little bit of a ceremony, a little bit of a flash of bang. There's two big aims to this thing. First, they're trying to incubate innovative startup IT companies here in Taiwan, and they're also trying to boost the nation's standing in the Internet of Things industry. Uh, according to an article in The Diplomat, next year the project is kicking off with a budget of 360 million U.S. dollars. And they're shooting for the creation of 100 successful startups over the course of seven years. So that's a whole lot of numbers. Uh, but I don't think that really does a great job of telling us what this thing is actually going to look like. So to flesh this out just a little bit, uh, I recently made the trip over to the executive Yuan to speak with Digital Minister Audrey Tang. You know, that minister that's been grabbing all the headlines recently. Kind of a tech prodigy, worked in the tech field uh, in Silicon Valley, among other places. Got a huge name for herself. Recently has made the jump into the public sector, doing stuff for the government like this. She will be providing consultation for this project in particular, and she was nice enough to sit down with me and tell me what's what. First of all, in our conversation, she clarified that while the project has called for a focus on developing Taoyuan in particular, it's really not just about one place. It's not like we're trying to shanghai or to copy Silicon Valley here in Taiwan anymore, because Silicon Valley is not just a place. It's not just a a, a place. It's a connection between you know those universities and this huge angel uh, community who are themselves successful entrepreneurs who then go forth and mentor the next generation and so on. So um, it is impossible to replicate the Silicon Valley ecosystem and we should not because it's a different ecosystem here. So what we're trying to aim here is a, a broader and also a much more tighter connection between all those different Asia places who are also looking toward more or less the same ICT and startup uh, ecosystem and try to find our ways to fit ourselves into the ecosystem as a way to linking with the other uh, Asian countries and then connecting to the Silicon Valley. So I, I wouldn't say that it's specific to one particular city or even one particular site. Taoyuan is, of course, exciting because it's less um, dense they populate it. So if you want to try some, you know, smart logistics and things like that, it would provide plenty of trial fields for you to experiment with. But we're not saying that, you know, we're cloning Silicon Valley in Taoyuan anymore. This is my main contribution before I joined the, the cabinet. So what I would say, uh, the, the cultural change that's needed for Taiwan to have the same kind of uh, culture in Silicon Valley are, are manifold. Uh, the primary one is to not be afraid of failure. 
uh, not afraid of you know losing face. Uh, but this is partly because setting up a new startup in Taiwan currently is a very involved process, um, and so we've tried to amend that a little bit with the so-called closely held company act uh, a year before. But still, there is a lot of hurdle to jump through if you try to to start up as SV like a startup in Taiwan. So we're trying to lower that threshold even more because then you can very quickly start up one thing, and if it doesn't work, just fold it and start up another thing, and so on, and without incurring too much loss to your family network or your to your own pocket, even right. So, but even uh, with this kind of uh, culture setup, we also need to work on inclusion and diversity because one of the primary strengths of Silicon Valley is that it's very inclusive. It's not, you know. Um, hostile to any new contributions from the Asian communities, from different communities, from inputs of all the different uh, parts of the world, they go to Silicon Valley and pursue something that they would look and amplify and change the world essentially. And but what Taiwan does uh, previously is more of a you know do one thing and do it well kind of industry building, and there's uh, a less respect for this kind of integration between the diverse cultures and diverse backgrounds. Of hardware and software and all kind of humanities, even and so on, and try to make something that that really amplifies and changes the world. But before we get there, we still need to get the you know cost of starting a startup and hiring some you know expert foreign workers much easier before we can get to this inclusive culture. So this is also why this is a multi-year plan. We're not looking at the culture change overnight. So we are just doing what we can in the first one or two years, and this is what we call agile governance. We look at what happens, and then we change our governance structure to try to make things easier for the new startup that then sprouts because of our earlier work. And then we just just change our uh, governance structures around the actual ecosystem change that is brought up by the previous stages of our program. This sounds like a pretty big challenge.、Uh, a lot of the things that you're talking about are pretty fundamental to the way that、uh, Taiwanese companies currently operate.、Uh, I mean. I, I come from a fairly small vantage point because I haven't worked at too many companies, but I've seen a fair amount of, you know, we do it this way because this is the way we've done it, and anybody who doesn't want to do it that way, I mean, I'm, you know, the, this is not exclusive to Taiwan. This is a, you can find this in, in in countries and in companies around the world, but it's it is certainly the case that this is a view that's very ensconced in Taiwan in particular. Uh, and so you're up against, as you mentioned,、uh, a, a broad set of cultural norms that are are not a hundred percent in line with the sort of、uh, startup culture that you might want to foster. What do you see your role as in, you know, maybe working with that and seeing what works in Taiwan? I think my role is this. I'm actually a pretty good listener, and I、uh, work with many people who are. Uh, born before、uh, Taiwan's democratization, basically everybody who was born before me remember how it's like before Taiwan was a democracy. And I think this more than access to internet or to personal computers, which is roughly the same year, shapes people's you know habit as it just describes. Because if people are brought up in a regime that's not democratic, of course there's no payoff for, for innovation, right? There's maximal payoff to do and work with the system and follow whatever that has been in the place before you because. As the safest and the the least risky、uh, to your life, perhaps、uh, way of of doing things, and so I think what I'm trying to do here is just to listen to the wisdom of the previous generation to work,、uh, who worked on the authoritarian regime before and who has. 
come up with a lot of wisdom on how to run a country very efficiently and maybe do their industry and their trades, especially like semiconductors, extremely well. And so they're good like governors in their respective trades. But what we need to do is to take some of those wisdom, some of those you know early uh, even prescient reading of the the global market and so on, and share it as open knowledge to the younger generation who thinks very democratically and very innovatively.、Uh, Just like the teenagers and、uh, tweens in many other democratic countries, but they didn't have the same perspective. They didn't have the same connection to the market as the you know the older generation. So what I am trying to do is as a bridge of sorts who speaks both the language of the older generation because I was. Born and I remember the martial law、uh, era, but then also connecting to the young generation who is unconstrained in the imagination they could do, but they could really use some of the wisdom and resources that the older generations have. So what I'm trying to do here is more as a channel or as a bridge between those two generations. So when we look at what a Silicon Valley dot Asia would mean. In Taiwan, I mean, what 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 do you think of that as mean? I mean, you've already mentioned the fact that thinking about this in terms of a place is not necessarily the right way to think of it.、Uh, so, what exactly are we working towards here? If not, you know, hyper developing Taiwan and building all that infrastructure as big as can be, because. As you mentioned, obviously, if you have a Skype connection, you can contribute your ideas from anywhere in the world. So that's not necessarily the way forward. If 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 this actually becomes what you're hoping it becomes, what does it look like, and and how does it contribute to the future of Taiwan? Right. So the dot in the Asia dot SV, I usually read as as connect.、Uh, so what we're Looking at is a connection that enables more flow, so to speak,、uh, of knowledge, of talent, of those regulatory innovations, and also,、uh, of course, of capital、um, between the various parts of Asia and between Taiwan and Silicon Valley. So,、um, but those parts are not directly under my purview.、Um, there's two other ministers with a portfolio who are in charge, respectively,、uh, for the you know national investments and also you know angel round. Uh, investments of the Taiwan and Asia and Silicon Valley funds. I'm not、uh, managing that, and the other ministry with that portfolio is managing the development parts of this. That、uh, the parts that require some physical constructions to、um, to further our, for example, a national、uh, exhibition center and things like that. But then these are not strictly speaking a, a making a Silicon Valley clone. It is just the bare necessities that are. Needed for for this kind of connection to happen internationally, so、um, and what what's left for me? <laughs> it's mostly two things. One is、uh, what we call standard building, because.、Uh, A lot of this connection for the Asia dot Silicon Valley plan is going to be centered around what we call the Internet of Things, meaning that we're going to have those tiny, tiny computers that's built into the fabric of what whatever we're wearing or the you know watches that we're wearing and、uh, everything basically、uh, is going to be connected to the Internet and then share whatever they have on the environment. Now, of course, this has、um, benefits because then all the computers and all the devices that we carry. Have what we call contextual information. They know where they are situated in in this space, so you don't have to keep talking to your GPS uh, navigation uh, where you are and where you're going to. It's going to to know,、uh, and it's. 
more or less a very good thing if um, you know it's personal computing, meaning that you know exactly what's being shared and what's being、uh, communicated. But of course, there's many different standards, and there's many different cities who are working with different vendors and this kind of technologies. And so, one of my contributions is to what we call a open API. API meaning the application programming interface, meaning that、uh, it's a there's a basic machine readable language for those things to talk to each other. And those languages they need to come with their dictionaries, with their lexicons. This has two folds.、Uh, Like、uh, benefits, one is that a different vendor、uh, can just look at the lexicons that this protocol is speaking,、um, independently improve this communication. So it makes the entire ecosystem more vendor neutral and less, you know, tied to one particular vendor. So th- what this does is essentially people in the township or in the city can come up with the demands they want to ask of the technology instead of having technology vendors dictate what is to happen in the city and having this. Way to negotiate with technology vendors is very important because、um, if we don't reflect what we want as citizens, technology is not going to do that for us, right? So that's the first thing、uh, that I'm contributing. The second thing is that there's one part in the Asia that Silicon Valley plan that is what we call a virtual reality academy that we try to get. Uh, as you know, there's already some massively online courses where people teaching maybe physics or mathematics or philosophy, even history, are recording the best、uh, speeches they have even g- given, and have people who are like me drop out of high school to still have some sort of high education by just watching to those videos. But it's Benson. Yeah, is one of the best interviewers I've ever had. He's obviously the guy who developed the gameo in Taiwan, and、uh, he has also made some of the most popular ever、uh, mult- massive. Online courses、uh, for Taiwan in the Chinese language. Exactly,、uh, we drew a lot of inspiration、uh, from from Benson's work, and so,、uh, but. You know, two-dimensional screens has its limits. You cannot really teach the art of、uh, motorcycle repairing over a two-dimensional screen because obviously there's no motorcycle for you to repair, right?、Uh, some of those knowledge, especially in the mission maintenance or interpersonal relationships and things like that, does require a kind of face-to-face or to hand-to-device connection. But this is where virtual reality comes in.、Uh, in the virtual reality, we can already have photorealistic models of motor. Cycles and of UMA, and to bring our hands and everything basically that we care about into the virtual reality space, where we can construct a social circle really around a virtual motorcycle, in which that you can still teach the art of repairing that virtual motorcycle and so on. So this not only、uh, lets us to convene. Classes in a much more economic way, even for people in remote islands, to enjoy this kind of、uh, participation. But also, it makes the lectures much more convincing because when people are looking at screens, they get distracted by their phones, by their whatever notification that happens to pop on their screens. But if you put on a VR goggle and start to to see Benson speak、uh, and assigned in one of those you know six person rooms, virtual rooms, out of six thousand. Um, participants. It's not packed in one six thousand person auditorium, but rather just six randomly assigned students in one room watching the same a、uh, virtual Benson talking.、Mm-hmm. And when he's assigning homeworks and so on, those six person get to virtually collaborate in、mm-hmm. this virtual classroom. And so you're saying fostering this kind of classroom is going to be really important for successful quote unquote Silicon Valley in Taiwan. 
I'm I'm saying that cultivating this kind of remote collaboration habits, whether it's through virtual reality or not, is going to be very important for Taiwanese people to learn in an environment where they can draw directly from the wisdoms and the collective intelligence of people around the world, not necessarily just in Silicon Valley. But it just so happens that those VR environments are primarily at the moment from Silicon Valley. So for having first-hand access to the technologies behind this, you know, virtual reality tools and so on, yes, I think it is a very important part of skill building to know not only the effects of those uh, movie-like VR worlds, but how exactly it is built and what open source systems there is to build those components and to tweak it to your liking. All right, and that was Digital Minister Audrey Tang. Uh, that conversation was actually just a very small part of a much longer interview. You can look for that on my other podcast stream, Taiwan Talk. Uh, Taiwan Talk is, of course, a series of interviews, series of conversations from and about Taiwan. We update that each and every week, so we should be posting the rest of that interview in about a week's time. When we do, what you're going to find there is a broader conversation on the future of Taiwan's internet. Uh, and also, I found this very interesting, how technology is changing the shape of Taiwan's democracy. So look for all of that in about a week's time, both in the Taiwan Talk broadcast and the Taiwan Talk podcast. All right, that is it for this particular interview for today. If uh, you haven't listened to this week's full Taiwan This Week show yet, you can still find that one episode up, go further up on the podcast stream. Uh, a whole lot of great topics we covered this week, so do make sure to check that out. All right, I'm going to stop trying to sell you on my product and wrap things up for Taiwan This Week and ICRT. I am Keith Manconi. See you next time.